What up, what up, what up? This is your boy Kojak, and we are back with a very special guest who is also uh, my uncle, uh, Pastor Marvin Hightower. And uh, first things first, I just want to say uh, thank you for taking some time out to uh, hang out with me, um, even though we do at uh, family events all the time. But uh, for the first uh, question, can you um, tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm born and raised in Okay. And um how uh was it uh growing up in Peoria? Well, growing up in Peoria it was a lot different than it is now. Uh in that uh it was after I grew up at the time right after the civil rights uh movement right after all, everything got legislated, Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act. So mm-hmm. 70s, between the 70s and the 80s, I was uh, getting ready to be a teenager in about the mid-70s. And mm-hmm. at that time, uh, Caterpillar was booming, Keystone was booming. They had all kinds of programs because right after the Civil Rights Program, it was like uh, money came to the community. And so I grew up at a time when Capitol was shut down for two weeks and it seemed like the whole city shut down because they weren't on vacation. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, people were uh, driving Cadillacs. I mean, it was, it was booming back in that, at that time. But then the 80s hit, and that's when uh, layoffs happened and periods started changing, not for the better either. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you know, um, like, why the layoffs, like, started to happen? Well, I mean, the, uh, the economy changed, manufacturing changed. They start uh, sending a lot of jobs overseas back in the day, and the strikes okay. happened. Uh, Ronald Reagan came uh, to be president. Uh, recession started hitting. They called it Reaganomics, and, and, okay. it, and, and it destroyed uh, uh, the manufacturing, uh, not just in Peoria, but all across the, the nation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. I'm learning because I don't know. I don't know nothing about that. Mm-hmm. So, um, how, um, what was your experience like, um, like growing up in the church, and also um, your experience um, when you decided to become a pastor? Well, I was a typical preacher's kid. By that I mean the preacher's kids they say are the worst kids in uh, the church, and I lived mm-hmm. up to that expectation. I didn't, you know, I was part of the church. I did things that was wrong. Uh, and not just because I was a preacher kid, but I was drawn to him. I was young. I was uh, in, under the influence, wanted to be like everybody else. I didn't want to be the preacher's kid. I wanted to hang out with the fellas and do what they did. And I did a lot of that. And so it took me a while before uh, I got myself together. It took me a while before God had his hands on me, even though he had his hands on me all through that time. but just didn't know it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, when did you... Um decide to uh start taking the uh path to become a preacher because i um like i don't know if a lot of people um know that it is a process yeah. it just doesn't happen like overnight no I, I received my calling like when i was 12 so that part okay and 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 that's part of the reason why uh, i started doing some of the things that i did getting under the influence of the wrong uh of the devil because of that i had a calling on my life and so I acknowledged my calling until I didn't really acknowledge my calling until I was uh, thirty or oh, in my okay. early thirties, and that's when I began to pursue uh, God like I was a, like I should have earlier. Uh, Wasted a lot of time, a lot of energy. I I did my thing. Now let me tell you that I yeah, wasn't all, I wasn't born saved. Let me tell you that. And uh, uh, 
But I know God turned me around and he had a calling on my life. Now I can help others. So when I received my calling, uh, I started to pursue my calling. And, and what I mean is that I, I, I went to school to learn uh, more. But I always had the intent, even though I was leaving Peoria, to always come back to Peoria so that I could help uh, our community. It was always in me. I left knowing that I was coming back. And a lot of people don't do that. A lot of people leave without the intent on coming back. But I knew that I was called to be here in Peoria. But I just needed to leave for a while to learn. Okay. And um, do you remember the moment that um, you saw something in Peoria that you uh, that woke you up and was like, I, do, I can uh, change the city? Well, I, I think it was a gradual thing at the, mo- at the time when I was here before. I didn't know that. But when I left... And, and really, when I came back, I came back and I immediately joined the NAACP uh, to be just joining because I knew when I was a kid, everybody in our community was a part of the NAACP, may not have been an active member, even kids were a part okay. of the NAACP. So I knew that I needed to be part of it so that I can get involved in the community because, like I said, it changed. And, and, and I didn't really notice the change until I left. And I came back, and it was totally different than even when I left. And so it's even different now than, than, than when I left. So I knew mm-hmm. it was just something deep within me that said that I got to get back here and got to help, got to help our people, got to help our community. Because I remember what 61605 was like when I was growing up. It was a community. Everybody took care of everybody. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, you get in trouble across uh, another street, it beats you home, you know. Yeah. What I mean? <laughs> you know, everybody had respect for authority. Everybody had respect for each other because, at the end of the day, we were all uh, we were all family, no matter what. And there was a lot of big families back in the time when I was growing up. It was not just the High Towers. It was like the Irvies. It was like, it was like the Joneses. It was like big families as well. So it was more family oriented here in Peoria. Yeah, and uh, so like right now, would you consider it's uh, more divided um, overall through um, like the generation to generation? Oh, definitely, definitely. And I can tell you the reason why I believe that it's uh, divided. Like I told you earlier, I said earlier, we grew up in the 70s and, and we were making a lot of good money. In the 80s, when the recession and the layoffs hit and then crack hit our community, and what it did for my generation, the only way that a lot of our, a lot of my peers made money was to start selling crack. And then when they start selling crack to make the fast money so that they can, you know, have whatever they want to have, a car, whatever, they, uh, then crime went up. And when crime went up, uh, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton signed the crime bill, which now my peers, and a lot of them are still in prison, received uh, those long jail sentences because of crack, 25 to life. And a lot of them are still in there or either have been. And what that did was disrupt the generation that came behind us. So what okay. we're seeing now in the community is a result of my generation being uh, incarcerated, or my generation being killed off. And, and now the, the, the people that's out here running the streets now are the grandchildren of my generation which had no fathers. They took the fathers right out of the home. Yeah. And so that's why we got what we got right now, I believe. Okay. And uh, I actually seen, I actually watched the uh, 
the 13th, yeah. the documentary that was on mass yeah. incarceration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff I didn't know. I didn't even like necessarily think in that mind mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. that that was one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. And do, so uh, do you feel that like, is it like, would you consider maybe police brutality being that uh, for my generation as far as like taking some of the fathers away? Oh, police brutality and the laws that were made. And, and not only that, uh, as the 13th shown, was shown, it, it, it evolved from slavery to where we are now. You had the mm-hmm. slavery, Jim Crow, segregation, all of that, and it evolved. They actually, actually, after the civil rights, it evolved again. And what happened was those kids that, if you watch any of those film clips in, back in the 60s, there were a lot of kids that were along those lines. When, the, when Martin Luther King and all those guys were marching, those kids ended up turning and started being, getting educated and becoming lawyers and started becoming the businessmen, started becoming the policemen, started becoming the government officials. So the system had evolved and changed and then they started making the laws which came straight at us to keep us down. They just did it in a different way. And yeah. it was the same brutality, but it was done in a different way. And unfortunately, what they did for us, the civil rights movement, even though it was great for us, it also hindered us or hurt us because it, they, it allowed them to assimilate us. And a lot of people that did make it forgot to go back for the younger generation and tell them what it took to get to where they were. Yeah. And a lot of them moved out into the suburbs and a lot of them just, just really forgot our, 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 our community and left it behind. And so that's some of the fruit that we're reaping too was a great disconnect. They did a great thing by for them, which was disconnect us from each other. Okay. Yeah. And uh could you like um like break down um what how impactful the Black Panther uh party was oh, at that get, time? Oh they get a bad rap, but the Black Panther was about taking care of our community. They were about feeding kids and making sure our community was safe. Now you know right now they have a hard time when they come, when you hear somebody say, well, we want to change the gun laws. At that time, in, 19, in the 60s, when the Black Panthers were in power, were coming together, were strong, they carried arms and they changed the gun laws okay. because of that. But they won't change them now. That doesn't make any sense to me. And, and my thing is, I believe that's because it was the black people that was carrying the guns. So they had to disband the Panthers. And Panthers get a bad name, but really they were about just taking care of our community and making sure that our community was safe and that the children were being fed. The WIC program that we use now yeah, it came from that, came right? from the back yeah. Black Panthers. And, a lot, and, and one of the churches here in Peoria, War Chapel, uh, their feeding program that they still use today, every Saturday, was born from the Black Panthers because the Black Panthers used to come through Peoria. And they set up this feeding program at War Chapel Church, and it's still going on today. Yeah, see, see a lot of people, especially my age, don't know the, the rich history of yeah. Peoria. Yeah. We just know um, Richard Pryor. Sure, sure. And that's about it. Yeah, and that, and that, and, and part of me, the fault is us because okay. we didn't teach it. Okay. We do a bad job of passing down our culture. Every other culture passes down their history. We don't because we allow. We have, we've allowed a system to infiltrate or to get into us, to make us envious of each other, to make us jealous of each other, to make us not share information with each other. We will be believe, and, and I know we're on a podcast, but I'm just going to say it like I'm going to say it. 
we believe a lie from a white man quicker than we'll believe the truth from a black man. And that's just it. Exactly. Because, uh, Dave, uh, David Banner actually said something like that at the Black Expo mm-hmm. I went to. Um, he um, he uh, didn't he didn't use those words. He ba- he basically was like asking us like when we hear the word nigga, mm-hmm. like what is the first thing we think about? And some people were like saying like um, that they're gonna deceive you. We're gonna rob. We always right. lying. We're trying to get over. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was he basically like broke it down like but if we hear white man. We're thinking of doctors, lawyers, right. like education. And they doing the same thing. Yeah, worse. Yeah. Or worse to us. They're getting over on us. They get over on us all the time, but we accept it. Like, say, for instance, if you have somebody white come to your house to fix whatever it is at your house and they don't work, we'll call them back, be all nice, fix it up. If a mm-hmm. brother did that, same, very same thing, we're going to down them. No, they can't mm-hmm. come back. We're going to talk about them. We're going to put them out on the street. And one of the things... And that comes from what is called the Willie Lynch syndrome, where we taught okay. to envy each other, taught to be jealous of each other, and taught not to trust each other. And that's been passed down. Now, they say that the Willie Lynch letters uh, is a fake, but I believe it's true because, and this was back in the slavery time, the way that they, they sold the system was if we could get them to divide amongst themselves, and how they did that was take the strongest man on the plantation and kill him off. And then that left the women to 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 be take the man's place, and and then they taught us to envy each other, fear each other, and not to share information with each other. And then then it said that uh, if we can get them to believe that, we'll have control of them for over three hundred years. It's been over three hundred. Yeah, it's been over three hundred. And and it's worked. And we bought into the system because we just didn't know. Uh, and because they disconnected us from our heritage, which is in Africa. Now, if we really, uh, if we could, and I, and I know, and we've been just so displaced that we don't really have a country. Uh, we live in America. We were born in America, but really we're not Americans. We, we were born yeah. here as slaves and disconnected from our heritage. And uh, the heritage in Africa was we come from kings and priests, and, and we were, we we were the rulers of the land. African is the Africa is the motherland, and 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 science proves that all life it comes came from, from Africa, Africa. Yeah. and comes from black. It's impossible for somebody black to come from a white person, but it's not impossible, according to the science, that for a white person to come from a black person. Yeah. And so they disconnected us. Yeah, because uh. I actually watched uh, Hidden Colors, oh, okay. that that series as well, yeah, yeah. and um, they broke that down. And um, like I never, because I've been to New York with my family, I never paid attention to the chains on the Statue of Liberty. Right at at the bottom, I yeah. never yeah. like they yeah. never talked about anything like that. Like um, I don't know how it was when you were growing up, the educational system, sure. as far as like social studies and history. Mm-hmm. But what's your take on and on those things as far as? Them not necessarily teaching black history only when it's February. Oh, it's, it's lacking. And I, and that's one of the things that I hope to address here, at least locally, is to put in a comprehensive African-American history, part of the American history, because our story is a part of America. Our story, if a, anything that's of convenience that we use today, more than likely came from something that we invented. And a lot of people just don't know everything that we have invented, everything that uh, is, is comfortable, comfortable right now, we had something to do with, from the stoplight 
to the radiator, to dry cleaning, and to the iron, to anything that you yeah. can think of, we had something to do with. And if we just knew that, and, and of course, I believe that, and I don't want to get all black power, but I believe that they keep that information from us because if we knew that, it would instill hope in all of our generations that we can do things, and we do do things other than basketball. And nothing wrong with playing basketball, football, and all of that. Or even being in the music business. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But that's not all we do. Yeah. I mean, we, we are new, we are scientists as hidden figures shown. Yeah. Uh, we, we did all kinds of things that we just don't know about. Yeah, they actually called um, those uh, women like the uh, first computers. Right. Exactly and, thing, right. and everything was dictated on if they got their math right. Exactly right. And you know what? And I heard the story, too, about that same picture was that uh, they knew that these they were doing something else, the women that were portrayed in it, they were doing another thing, but then they saw that these computers were coming to take take their jobs, or IBM, I think it was, was coming to take their jobs. So what they did was they didn't just complain about it, they started becoming and started learning how to be programmers. So they oh, changed. Wow. Amen. So they changed everything. because they seen it coming. So yeah. that they could be a part of the change. Instead of complaining or whining about it, they change with the times. Yeah. A lot of, now, the thing that hurts us most now is, one of the things that hurts us most now is, we got this attitude of, give me, give me, give me. You owe me, you owe me, you owe me. No, we need to learn how to pull up our own bootstraps. We need to learn, if you want to do something, go after it. And it's nothing that's really held from you, except for you yourself. I heard it today, I was in a meeting uh, down at City Hall. And, and, and one of the gentlemen said there's, and he was a black man, he said, there's two things that hurt black people, the fear of success and the fear of failure. So we'll stay the same. Mm. Yeah, I definitely can see that Yeah. now that you said that. And um, so um, another movie that had a lot of like buzz around it was The Birth of a Nation, Yeah. which I actually went to see. And uh, I knew who Nat Turner was, mm -hmm. but I didn't know the full story. Sure. And that's history that is never taught. Right. And, and you see how they tried to, you see what they did. Yeah, to, to Nate, uh, Nate Parker yeah, as well. to him. And when there's other white counterparts that did worse than him, he got acquitted of his whatever, the thing that he got accused of, the rape yeah. that he got accused of. He got acquitted. There are white directors like Roman Polanski can't even come back to America, but yeah. still making films. And won an Oscar. And winning Oscars. And he's a fugitive from justice. He's not the only one. But Nate Parker, who's telling this story, a story that's uh, real and a story that tells about our history that matter, that should matter to us, gets blackballed like that. Now, that was, and that was, that was intentional. It wasn't yeah. an accident. Yeah, they made sure that because then the like it deterred um, a lot of black people yeah. for like they started to listen to the media. So I'm not going to support the right. film and see it. The whole system came back in because that's what we've been taught. Yeah, fear and we don't support each other. Yeah, he because he I felt like I don't know if it was Oscar like he could have won an Oscar for it. Sure, I thought Denzel should have won. Yeah, but um, he he got snubbed. He should have been nominated for that. Been, it could have got have best director best and everything. Exactly right, and that's a story that needs to be told. And I I don't uh, 
I, I mean, you know, in black during Black History Month, and when they tell teach us Black History, they teach us also, always about Martin Luther King, which is good. Yeah, but there's so Max. many That's other, it. or Rosa Parks. There are so many other stories yeah. of people that done equal or even greater in some instances than Martin Luther King. A hundred years ago, before Martin Luther King was born, there was a black man that was doing the same thing, and but it doesn't get much publicity, and because nobody talks about it. Yeah. One thing I I want to do, if um, someday, and I'm hoping to do it soon, is go to the African American Museum out in Washington, because okay. I I know some people that went there and they talk about how powerful it is, that that you uh, walk from the bottom up, all the way around to where President Obama was elected to office. So yeah. I'd love to go there to learn some of our history. Yeah, most definitely, and because um. One of the main things that uh, I'm starting to notice just uh, like being around younger people is like um, they only can name like that from from African-American history is uh, either Malcolm X, um, like Marcus Garvey, Mm -hmm. Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes the basketball players, the football players, you know, um, actors. It's no it's uh, no scientists, Mm -hmm. no inventors. You know, no other civil rights uh, activists. Right, right. You know, it, it's nothing else Doctors, that lawyers. people can do. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we are, we're all in every place that there is something. We are there. We just don't get the publicity because they don't, they don't let that be portrayed. We think of something, if someone is a doctor or if someone uh, is a lawyer, that that's not necessarily it. We tend to gravitate in which is I, I believe this is a, a, a intentional is to see our, our athletes and to see our hip hop artists wearing this and that and, and, and plenty of money and women and that and it portrays us almost like the modern day minstrels back in the day when you have the black man and blackface uh, dancing around Okay. And nothing wrong with hip hop. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with making money. If that's how you make your money, go for it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But while you're going for it, also remember the community that you're leaving behind. Remember the example that you're setting for our younger generation because a lot of the hip hop moguls, they've gone to school. They all evolved. Yeah. And they all evolved. I seen a picture of Jay Z. When he was, when you comparing him when he made a hundred thousand dollars to six hundred, whatever it is, million now, or whatever, yeah, yeah, he looks uh, worse, uh, as far as like right. the bling, right? And all when the chains and all that, dollars, yep. he had all this on and all that on, but now he looked like uh, he coming this normal like person, yeah. I had a chance to meet my first billionaire, he was a white guy, but he was a billionaire, didn't know it at the time that I met uh, not about four weeks ago. Um, and and he was dressed like this, just mm-hmm. like this. You wouldn't have known this guy was a billionaire, but he was. And and you know, once he said, "Well, yeah," my he said like this. He said, "My, my parents uh, owned some hotels, and that was about it." He said. But then I, the next day, I said, "Let me check this guy to see if he's really a billionaire." So I checked him out, and uh, his parents owned the Hyatt, which is a uh, five-star yeah. hotel. Yeah. He's in that type of business, but you never would know it by the way he dressed and the way he acted, because he acted just like you and me sitting here like this, and no, nothing distinguishing as far as uh, uh, 
jewelry or anything about it, but yet he's a billionaire. More mm-hmm. than one. He's like three point four billion. Man. That's what it looked like. And he, you met him in Peoria? Yeah. Or, uh, so he lives here? He don't live here. Oh, he just was he here. Was thinking, he's thinking about running for office and I was able to run for oh, the governor okay. specifically and I was uh, invited to go meet him. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's in Illinois, though. Yeah, he's in, he lives in Chicago. Oh, man. See, yeah. that's something nobody would even think about. Because right. it's like, I think it's what, six or seven billionaires that are black? Yeah. That yeah. Out of out of how many there yeah. are? Yeah, and then, you know, we got the Oprah's the, the exact, shining example of, of coming from rags to riches. Yeah. But, and, you know, still doing everything she can for the community in, in the States. But then also across in Africa, so she's she's, she's a definite an example that we can follow as well. Yeah. yeah. So what was um your take on um first uh, the election process as a whole, and um uh, Trump winning of course, and then um I, I want to, want you to speak on the importance of exercising the right to vote, oh, um not only nationally but also locally as well. Oh. Well, first of all, with the Trump situation, it's almost still unbelievable how we go from Barack Obama, who was a Harvard law, uh, a lawyer uh, who, who knew constitutional law, taught it, a very smart black man, uh, wasn't no dummy, and, and, and to what we have now, which is a showman, celebrity, white uh, nationalist, that's what they call him, mm-hmm. that has uncovered well, let me back up. In 2008, when President Obama got elected, you start seeing uh, the scab of the, the wound that had been there from racial, from, from racism. It started being peeled back, little by little, layer by layer, until we got to 2016, when Donald Trump was able to run and win the presidency. That wound was still there because we didn't really deal with it. And now we're reaping, we're seeing the repercussions. Not only are we being attacked, but the Muslims are being attacked. Not only are the Muslims being attacked, the Jewish uh, Jews are being attacked. Every other minority ethnicity is being attacked now because of this scab, this wound has been uncovered. And what I say to us as a people about voting it's okay. Voting in the national election is great, and we turn out for that. But more important than the national election, from my, in my opinion, is the local elections, because they uh, affect your everyday life, from the mayor to the council people. From, uh, they affect you. If you really want to change your situation, our situation here in Peoria, you have to vote in the local elections. That's where change comes. That's where transformation is. Washington will be Washington, but the local elections are really, in my opinion, more important. And we don't show up. Yeah. I think it was, from what I hear, the stat is 9% of us showed up in this last primary election. And we even got a, a, a black guy running. Yeah, I voted. Mayor. I voted yesterday. Yeah, for mayor. And and that's, and we've had them before, uh, but... Uh, this would be in, in since I've been grown uh, or old enough to run because I was gone the last time another one tried to run for it. Uh, this was my first time being able to cast a vote for a black man or have the opportunity to cast a vote for a black man in the mayoral race, and 
the sad part is nobody. I mean, we had well, I think it was seven thousand some votes, possibly out of seventy four thousand registered voters. It's terrible. Yeah. So we got a general coming up. We can hopefully redeem ourselves. Yeah. But it's so important because they affect. They tell you where money is going to be spent here in this city. Like in 61605, you heard the buzz now that we've been 24-7 Wall Street, which has nothing to do with the Wall Street Journal, by the way, said we're the worst city for African Americans. And so this is, what I'm saying is, this is our time here in Peoria, I believe, to make real change and to hold our elected officials accountable. I had a meeting with the mayor uh, last week, just me and him. And I told him, I said, uh, I'm not going to let you just use 61605 as a political uh, political prop. I'm going to hold you accountable, and, and we need to turn our focus on 61605, building it back up uh, in the community. And if you noticed over the last week, you've heard a lot of, about a lot of things coming to 60605 as far as construction projects mm-hmm. to get people hired from our community. And it's opportunities, and let me say this, it's opportunities for young brothers to get into the apprenticeships of the youth for, for the trades, talking about construction and and, and, and steam fitters and, and pipe fitters and all of that. In fact, there's a career fair this Saturday, uh, or let me say March the 4th, it would be March the 4th, uh, where you have an opportunity to talk to the trades. And the time is now to, talk, to get into them, especially with all this construction, because they're looking for young brothers, young sisters, because the one thing about it that we fight for is to get us into those jobs so that when people come and ride down those streets and see us working, it'll put hope in that community. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, this was, uh, I didn't get a chance to vote in 08 because I was too young. Mm-hmm. So this this was my first time being able to vote okay. uh, at all. So um, I stood in line for... Uh, I don't know. Me and Leah was. This was Leah's first time voting too. This is. Uh, I think we stood in line for maybe two, three hours, um, and it was worth it. You know, I was excited to uh, actually do the process. And um, when I got to the uh, the ballot, it was t- tons of different ones. You know, it wasn't just the president. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. And um, I didn't even know um, all the names. I knew right. some of them, but not all of them. Right. So I, I only could imagine right. people just clicking random ones just right. because. Right. And that's important. That's one thing you said was that's important. Prior to going to vote, you need to get educated on who you're voting for. Where did they stand? What have they, especially in the national elections and even on the local level, what have they done? Or what, have, or what are they saying? And then follow them. And, and, and you know, there's all kinds of apps. VoteSmart.org is one that you can use, especially on the national and the state level. Now, on the local level, it's a little different uh, because they don't have that app here. But if you're on the state and the national level, use that, and you'll see what they're voting on. And that way you can make an informed decision. Not, And let me say this. It's not just about skin color. It's not just about being a Democrat or a Republican. I always say it's not no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. So if you've got my interest... And I can see that my interests are being met by a Democrat, Republican, Independent, Black, White, Green, Yellow, or Red person. That's who I'm going to support. That's who I'm going to go talk to. Because at the end of the day, the bottom line is, is, is my 
is my interest being met. That's the bottom line. Okay. Yeah. So how how do you feel about um some of the um like between this year and uh, last year, a lot of the murders that have been going on, um, and a lot of them have been uh, young people around my age sure. as well. Sure. I mean, I don't. Of course, I don't. Don't 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 like it. It's, I mean, it's tough. But that goes back to what I was saying earlier, with uh, the fathers being taken away. We have a generation. We have two, three generations away from my age that never had a father, that never had somebody to look up to. All they've seen is what they know, which is the island where they live. They've never been off the island. They don't understand that there's more out there that they can achieve. They haven't been told that. They haven't been encouraged to do to, to pursue their dreams, even if it seems stupid. Go for it. You never know. You never know. Facebook came out because some college kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Somebody, I, I, and I heard this story told, it, if you go to a gas station and you outside the gas station and you see three blocks of wood wrapped up in some plastic, somebody came up with that and said, oh, we'll just do that and start selling it. Make big money. Do it just wrapping up three blocks of wood yeah. so people won't have to chop wood. I mean, any idea is not stupid. Just try it. You never yeah. know where it could lead you. And um, do, how do you think, uh, like, well, how was it um, you, for you growing up, like, as far as, like, recreational activity things? Because now, um, like when I was coming up, Carver was real, was very right, big, right, you know, right. and uh, it's not as big now. Right. I believe it got shut down. Yeah, the summer day, camps yeah. and things like that yeah. where I was involved in. Sure. Until now, uh, they weren't that expensive when I was around. Now th those camps uh, from like the Riverplex and Y things right. like that, they're very very expensive. Sure, sure. Um, do you, why do you think that uh, those prices and things like that were raised? Of course, cost of living, and then a lot of things came on the heels of the uh, civil rights movement, which programs were put into place, which are good. Programs are good, but what, what we need to do now is start to develop systems. A program can go away, but if you develop a system, it, it can last. It can last, okay. and so that those monies could be there. Now, there are things that you can do, because there are people that would like to provide opportunities for us, but we just have to go out and get it. That's not going to come to our door. We have to go out and get it. And you know, if you want to be positive, you can be. Uh, it's really up to you. If you take personal responsibility and not stop looking for handouts, but look for help up, help up. That's that will take you a long way. Yes, a lot of those places are closed, but there's still a lot of positive things that you can do if you really want to. When we were growing up, of course, we didn't have uh, video games like that. We had to go outside. Yeah. Where we learn how to play yeah. with each other and, and interact with each other more so than on Facebook or Instagram or Twig, tweeting or any of those methods. We learned how to interact socially with each other and we fought. I mean, you know, we didn't have guns, but we fought with our hands and we came back and played with each other the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't uh, we didn't we didn't take life so for granted and didn't take life like it was nothing to kill someone. You know, pull a gun. That's a fast way. That's actually it's a coward's way of, of handling issues. Really, it is. Mm -hmm. So, um, how did um you becoming the president of the um, NAACP um, come about? Well, I, like I said before, I, I joined. I wasn't looking to be a part of the executive committee or even in an officer. So, an opportunity opened up to be 
in the executive committee, which is the governing body of the NAACP. And so I became part of that. And then an opening came up for first vice president. So I, because no one else was stepping up to do it. So I just did it. I became first vice president. I was first vice president for four years. So okay. it's not like I was new to, to, to doing it. And then the opportunity came, the president asked me, actually a couple of years ago when his, when the term was up, well, do you want to be president? I said, no, you stay one more year, stay one more term, which are two year terms, and I'll think about it. So over the summer, he began asking me again, you ready, you ready? I'm ready, to, I'm ready to step down. I'm gonna be a part of it, but I'm ready to step down. We need some new blood in it. So I thought about it, prayed about it, talked to my wife about it, and I decided to step up and to, to be the president of the Peoria branch in NAACP. Believe it or not, one thing that I discovered when I became part of the NAACP was that the fights that they were having back in the 60s and the 70s are still the same fights we're having today. If we don't, it's for us, if we don't tell or demand that we get, uh, that they hire minorities, they won't. If we don't uh, make a stand and make a demand on if the police department, if you look around, the police department's been doing a lot of hiring or a lot of career fairs. It's yeah. partly because of, well, it is because of the NAACP went to the city and, and looked at their numbers, got the data, and it looked like, and, and, and it was a limited amount of black people from Peoria that were part of the Peoria Police Department. There were a lot of people from outside of Peoria that had never interacted with black people that were on the police force. So the city uh, came up with an ordinance that said that by, uh, in 20 years, I think it is, they're gonna have 40% African-Americans and minorities, and they're working to do that. Okay. Yeah, so so uh, I, we still fighting the same fight, but we're gonna keep still fighting the same fight, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Okay, because I also, I also think, um, Maybe if um, the police officer that stopped Mike Brown was from that neighborhood, yeah. it would have turned out different. Oh, definitely. You it, know? It, it definitely could have possibly turned out different. I was telling my daughter on my way over here yesterday, I got stopped, and it was something that I did. <laughs> I mean, I really could have, you know. But what I'm saying is, it was I, I discovered it was an African-American lady who was the, the policeman, but at the time when she stopped me, I didn't see her. All I knew was it was red and blue lights behind me, yeah. and my heart, because you know everything started playing in your yeah. mind, especially with everything that's been going on here lately. And I've told the police chief here that we're only one decision away on either side of something like Ferguson happening, either on the police side of it, or either on our or the community side of it. Somebody making a mistake, and that we need to try to do something now to try to, to 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 detour it. But anyhow, uh, when that stop happened, of course, things start playing in your mind. Start playing in your mind. So my advice to people that get stopped, first, be calm, because the objective is to get home. Yeah. Be calm, comply, and if they do something wrong, you complain later. That's what I say. Yeah. That's what I say. My dad just always told me to roll all the windows down. Hand on the steering wheel. Don't get out. Yeah. Stay in the car. Just, sit, just stay there. And be cordial. You can be mad as you want, but you act right. Nine times out of ten, you'll get home. 
Yeah. You don't get out of pocket because you get out of pocket, you may leave there in a body bag. Yeah. Or on the way to the uh, the county. Sure. You know, because that's happened out here too. Sure. So, um, can you, um, like, how, how can the youth uh, be a part of the NAACP? And the thing is about it is, back in the 60s, the youth were the driving force of the NAACP, especially here locally. Your grandfather, Pastor Craig Smith, was the youth leader. And at that time, he had the biggest youth uh, membership in the state. Wow. Yeah, it's 1,500. Maybe, maybe that's why the church is big yeah, and the 50, youth. 1,500 uh, or more members were Damn. youth. It was yeah. youth-driven. And the youth were the ones that actually drove the civil rights. If you look, to, just like on the, the, the white side of it, they had a lot of youth along with them. If you look on the marches, there were a lot of youth mixed in there, little kids. And, and, and teenagers were a part of the civil rights. The youth were the driving force because they had the energy. And they had the passion to, to, to and, and, and I'm hoping, it's my hope, and I'm going to do it intentionally, is to reach out to our youth to come and start being a part of the NAACP. Because I'm trying to groom my, I'm not trying to be there 20 years like my brother yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start grooming, grooming my replacement now. And it needs to be somebody young that can connect with young people. So that with all the technology and things that's going on, to, to enhance the NAACP, to be the energy, because we may, and I don't like to march or whatever, but I will if I have to. Uh, we have to get out in the streets on sometimes, and, and, and I'm not opposed to it, but we need the youth to be a part of it, so I'm going to be intentional, and I'm already starting to work with uh, District Peoria Public Schools. Got a meeting set with them next week to try and start uh, getting high schoolers and younger start being a part, along with uh, Mrs. Reed, uh, who will run what is called the AXO program. And what that is, is where youth will, it's competition-based, where you do cooking, uh, acting, what you're doing right now, theater. I mean, it's a wide variety, and we're trying to get that started here to attract our youth to something positive. Mm-hmm. Like you say, something positive, so that uh, we can start shining and get them a part of this movement, because you are you guys are the future. Yeah. You guys are the future. Most definitely. Yeah. I definitely um I definitely like talk like that as well because we're we're like next up to well right. well I'm 21 so I'm kind of in that form right. now as far as being a part of society. Right. But as far as like my little brother goes and stuff, right. they're the next step right. to actually getting jobs and right. more people retiring and things right. like and that. And also, you guys are the time. You guys are the get groomed now so that you guys can be the city leaders. Yeah. I mean, to be the mayor, to be city council, to be school board members. I mean, that's where the seat of authority is, is in politics. And, and, and that's how you really create the change that's so needed, is being a part of that system and changing it. Yeah. And you have it in your power to do it. All you have to do is start being a part of it now and start learning now. So that when you do get old enough or the opportunity presents itself, you'll be ready. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, what um, what are like your um, main goals uh, during your your term as far as things that you would like to see change within the next two years? Well, this first year, uh, we continue, we'll continue to do civil rights. We'll continue to work with our educational system. We'll continue to do criminal justice reform, uh, climate uh 
environmental uh, justice. We'll continue to do voting and voting rights. Um, but I'm going to be intentional in working with other organizations, black community organizations that are out there doing a lot of things. It's a lot of good things happening in Peoria, but unfortunately, Peoria is called what, uh, the greatest silo city, meaning that everybody is so busy doing their own thing. Yeah. But if we start working together on certain issues, it's okay to do your own thing, but then at some point we have to come together and collaborate and over certain issues so that we can have one voice and go down and make our demands known. So I'm intentional, and it's already put into motion to call our black community leaders together so that we can talk about our issue for us, by us, about us, so that we can have our own agenda, so that we can go down to City Hall and say, this is what we want. We don't, we, we, we like that you want to give us stuff, but no, this is what we want This because this is what we need. And it's never been a demand like that, or if it has, it hasn't been in a long time. So I'm intentional on collaboration. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the last question is, um, if there was uh, like one person you would want to have a conversation with that uh, either either alive or has passed away, who would it be and why? Huh, boy, that's a ooh, that's a hard one. But I would say my father, because uh, and one because he's my father, but two he was a preacher, a pastor, and three he was a part of the NAACP. I found out that he was also a vice president. Didn't know that growing oh, up. Wow. I found that out that he was a vice president of the NAACP and he was real instrumental in a lot of the things that happened here. You hear John Gwynn and you'll hear my father's name, mm -hmm. those two. And they they did a lot of positive things like got people at Silco, but Amron now, uh, uh, and jobs at banks for us as minorities. So I would want to talk to him to get uh, some insight on how did he do what he did, and you know, and, 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 and give me some guidance, some wisdom with, and, and I'll say that it would be him. There's many others that I would love to talk to, but him for sure. Okay. And, um, uh, like, do you have, um, any, um, websites that are email addresses people can, um, reach out to you or, uh, learn more about the, uh, NAACP? Sure. You can like us on Facebook, Peoria NAACP. We have a website, PeoriaNAACP.com. It's under construction, but you can still go on there. If you have a complaint, you can put your name and, and your complaint, and it'll get through the proper channels to me. Uh, you can see us. Uh, I just got me a Twitter, yeah. <laughs> Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, come on now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now I'm just starting to get into that. But uh, you can also reach out to us that way. And we meet every third Thursday. Each month, this month it'll be March 16th at 7 o'clock where we have our general build, uh, meeting. And there we discuss uh, what we're doing, where we're going. Uh, sometimes we have a guest speaker come in. And this month we'll have uh, Councilwoman Beth Jensen who will come in and she'll talk about uh, a legal, because uh, she's a lawyer, uh, legal help for our community. Like they do it for free for one thing. Oh, wow, they were free. And, you know, for any, anything that you got going on. They give you free legal advice to help help our community because I think a lot of people don't don't necessarily have lawyers because we can't afford them, and a lot of things that we get caught up in we don't know how to get out of because we don't have a lawyer. So she's doing that. She'll come speak to us about that, and then also Jahan Gordon Booth, our representative, is is doing an expun an expungement summit 
that means somebody that's been uh, that had a felony or a misdemeanor earlier in their life have a chance to get that wiped off their record so that they can uh, uh, be able to get employment, housing, or what, whatever. And so please come and join the NAACP. Uh, for adults, it's thirty dollars for those that for a year, and for those who are twenty uh, to seventeen, it's fifteen, and for those who are seventeen and under. It's ten dollars for a year, and that's how we uh, fund the the building, because nobody gets paid at the NAACP locally. It's all volunteer. All that I do, all that anybody does for and with the NAACP is all volunteer. It's because we love our community. Okay, and um, working on people um, hear you preach as well. Oh, I preach oh. at my name. My church is Liberty Church of Peoria. It's twenty eight twenty eight West Flint Street. We start at eleven o'clock on Sunday morning. You can dress up as much as you want, and you can dress down within reason. Yeah, as much as, as, much as you want. Jeans are welcome. So come and and check us out. We located at twenty eight twenty eight West Flint. The number is six eight one nine one two seven. We do have transportation, so feel free to call me, and and we'll make sure you get there. Okay, all right. Uh, I appreciate you for coming. Appreciate you. I definitely learned a lot. This was a much-needed conversation. I, I'm excited to actually put this one out because I definitely feel like people around my age can learn something from this and uh, also get motivated as well from even hearing this conversation. So I appreciate you. Uh, we had um, This is Kojak with Pastor Marvin Hightower, and we are out. God bless.